Welcome again to yet another wonderful and exciting episode of Global Conversations. Uh, you're joining us on, a, on an excellent and illuminating conversation with Catherine Wu, an expert in cultural intelligence. Catherine's work encompasses much more than her role as a lecturer and director of executive programs at the Center for Leadership and Cultural Intelligence. She beautifully intertwines her professional work with a heartfelt passion, consistently uh, inspiring us through engaging and insightful posts on LinkedIn. Trust me, they are amazing, especially okay. if you're up at eight o'clock Eastern time, evening Eastern time, where you actually get to see her, get to read her posts, but they are thought provoking and exciting on, on both cultural intelligence and as well, if you catch her on previous episodes of our CQ and Love podcast. Uh, I was particularly moved by Catherine's unique perspectives on enhancing global collaborations through nuanced understanding, cultural diversity, and an idea that has inspired countless professionals worldwide. Uh, her posts are in, an imperative need for cultural intelligence in our interconnected world, especially nowadays, and provide actionable insights for individuals and institutional advances. As I dig into this dialogue with Catherine, I assure you it won't be a standard question and answer session between her and I. Uh, our conversation aims to be casual, yet insightful, jovial, and thought-provoking. And today's conversation uh, with Catherine is designed to be relaxed, engaged, with filled with uh, valuable takeaways for our listeners. So Catherine, thank you very much for doing this, and I really appreciate uh, having you today. Thank you very much, Andre. I'm very, very excited to uh, meet you and talk to you today. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's been a while, and like I you know like I've mentioned to you uh, you know for several times is that you know I you know I've been tr I've been following your your posts and your and your exchanges and whatnot and and all your uh, education in cultural intelligence you know you're you're an expert in this field and a lot of people follow your what you have to say and you know myself included and I've learned a lot about you and who you are, what you bring to the profession, even as someone who's working in equity, diversity, inclusion. So I want to get uh, a little bit more of an insight into who you are, um, okay. you know, how you started, um, your career path, and, and how did you find your calling into cultural intelligence? Oh, how did I find my calling? Well, when I was 13 years old, um, actually, no, I start before that. I grew up in a village in the south of France, and I like to say my village, there's no traffic light, only one main, one main road, uh, the kind of place that fewer and fewer people in this world, um, you know, have the chance to grow up in. Uh, but when I was growing up in this village, there, it's one of those places where there is no cultural diversity. Everybody is white. Everybody speaks French. Uh, and I remember growing up with this idea that even, you know, we learn English in school, for example, but um, I, I even thinking that one day I would be able to speak English fluently, have this kind of conversation with you is something that had never, I never thought would ever be possible. I couldn't even dream it because to me it was not even something that I could ever do. But somehow when I was 13 years old, one summer, um, I met this friend. Her name was Aurore. Uh, and she she was on holiday in my village visiting her grandmother, and she lived in a family of expats. So her dad worked for a big um, engineering company, and 
she was my age, but she has spent most of her life living in Niger and in Mallorca and in Russia. And she was telling me these amazing stories of growing up in those places, you know, where everything is different, uh, the food, the lifestyle. So as a 13 years old who's never stepped a foot outside of that village, for me, I started to feel fascinated by the world out there and and looking for any opportunities I I, I had to, to, to go out. Um, I So when... You know, fast forward um, um, many, many years, not many years, several years, uh, I went to business school. And when I was in business school, I uh, that was I chose business because I thought, OK, you want to have an international career, then, you know, what is most likely to get me there is like business. I didn't know anything about business. <laughs> no one in my family is in business. Um, yeah. But still, I, I went there and I had this chance to, to go to to England because my thought was, okay, if I want to have an international career, mm-hmm. um, I need to speak English. And so, but my, I couldn't speak English well. So I, I say, you know, I, I look at all the options I had to go abroad with my school and I've picked the one exchange program that did not require an English test because I, I didn't think I could pass that test. Mm-hmm. So I just picked the one school and it turned out to be, a one-year program and and it was the the yeah it was the best experience I, I say you know this is the experience that changed my life that that set me on this trajectory on this path uh, it did it in two ways one is by pushing me really out of my comfort zone so the first night I was there you know I I remember arriving in England and within three hours I had been in England I called my mom and I was crying I made a mistake I don't want to be here <laughs> I want to go home but of course, you know, she was not going to let me go back. And um, and it was my first experience of a true culture shock. You arrive in a place, you, you everything is so different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that day, my German roommate arrived and she invited me to go out for drinks. And um, I remember walking to the to the student union bar and, and I hear a voice behind me. And it's this French student, you know, uh, he's from my school. His name is Youssef. I remember him very well. And he's like, hey, Catherine, you know, ça va? Uh, you know, wh- where are you uh, sitting with? And and I show him this table on the side. And, and you know, you, you have this small table, five, six international students there. And then he said, hey, do you want to join us? And he pointed in the other direction. And in the other direction, there's this big table, like, 12, 15 French people. And I like to mm. joke that, you know, we hadn't been in England for a day that they had all found each other already, right? Um, but it's this. And, and at that moment, I, I had a choice to make, right? It's like, on the one hand, I, I can go to my people and I can t- continue to feel comfortable and and speak my language and all of that. Or I can go the other way with international students. Um, and I remember at that point, you know, my goal is very clear. I went to England to learn English. And so I didn't <laughs> even think twice, right? I, I went with them. Um, but that really set me on that journey is like, because after that, um, I, I took a class in, uh, in a cultural psychology uh, where I got exposed to the model of uh, cultural values, you know, <laughs> power distance, individualism, collectivism. Yeah. If you're an interculturalist, this are this is the basics, right? But for mm-hmm. me, I remember the first time I, I heard about those concepts, I really, you know, I don't remember any of my classes when I was a student in university, but this is one the one class I still remember. My mind was blown. Like, 
you know. And, and from that day on, I just wanted to study that, you know, cultural differences because I could feel them in my life um, with my German friends, my, you know, my, my friends, they were from Canada, from Poland, all over Europe. Um, and, and I could see already feel that difference. And so when I returned to France, um, because I could speak English by then, not so well, but enough, that gives me the courage to sign up for an international business class that was all in English. Mm -hmm. And in that class, I was the only uh, French student and everybody else was Chinese. Oh, okay. And I was in France, in my school in France. Yeah. And um, I think I wrote about that in one of my posts. I said, you know, the first time I work with Chinese people, they... Um, I talked the entire time and they agreed to everything I said and none of my ideas made into the final work, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and this was my first, um, that was my first experience to be exposed to a culture that is so radically different, right? But because I had that experience, I, I for me, going to that class was also part of exploring something so different, you know, like this, these differences in communication, even though I didn't understand them, I didn't know how to deal with them. I was just mesmerized by this. You know, I, I just couldn't get enough. And so after when I finished my, my um, I, graduated, I graduated from business school, I, I didn't look for a job. I just, mm -hmm. you know, put whatever money I had in the bank and, and I bought myself a ticket to China and I went to China for six months. And it ended up being almost five years which led me to Singapore, where I've been for the past 14, 15 years now. Yeah. No, that's, a, that's an excellent story because, you know, listening to how you grew up um, yeah. and, ex and experiencing just one culture, uh, you know, especially in small town and how you've been able to expand and, you know, like you said, have that culture shock. I mean, you know, uh, a lot of us, a lot of us, especially in, in smaller cities, especially in, in, you know, in North America or anywhere in the world, per se, yeah. they, you know, they experience this um, and they navigate those situations much differently. Either, you know, like you said, they, you know, they, they backtrack and they say they can't handle it. Then they just, you know, they go back to their roots or they experience it, especially as a young person. And that's something that we you know, that we should cherish, especially as young people, because our minds are just, we have so much to, to learn and so much to gather and to mm. learn from other people, especially. And, mm. you know, and that whole uh, power distance thing, especially your situation that you mentioned with, mm. uh, uh, with the Chinese, uh, Chinese students, uh, you know, where they were, you know, nodding and stuff. And that's, of course, that's that cultural difference of, you know, because of the fact that you're coming in as an expert, right? So that's something mm. that, that we need to we need to flush out a little more, and I and I want to get into that a little more through our conversation. So, so um, you know, like I like we said at the outset, your expertise is in cultural intelligence, and yes. and that it includes a keen understanding of language competence, and it's yes. been an, uh, a recurring theme within your research. So, um, so tell everyone, uh, you know, in the audience here that are still learning about the need for cultural intelligence. Why is this relationship important, especially in the global work, work, uh, workplaces? So uh, you mean the relationship with language and yeah, cultural language, intelligence, yeah. right? Yeah, yes. okay. yeah. So when I was thinking of um, 
you know, when I went to do my PhD, I had to think of a topic, you know, what is something that uh, about cultural intelligence that interests me. And one thing I had noticed uh, from uh, when I went to China, to England and then to China is that I, I always saw myself as a culturally intelligent person. I didn't know what cultural intelligence was. I did not have a term for it, but <laughs> I could sense that for me, it was not very difficult to uh, communicate with different people. I could what you know, I could observe some differences. I, I, I thought you know, I, I could take perspective. I could adapt, right? But one thing I had realized was that. When I was doing this, uh, so when I was into England and at the time I didn't speak English so well, and then later on I went to China and I also didn't speak Chinese. It took me a long time to learn how to speak Chinese. I, I felt that I was a different person. So the fact that I couldn't speak the language very well limited me in my ability to relate to other people, not just in terms of how I can, you know, just simple things like talking, right? But how I can... Um, uh, like you have less flexibility because when you right. a language is language is the, the tool that you use to show the world who you are right <laughs> and so but who you are is very complex and is multifaceted yeah. and so yeah. so in order for you to show truly who you are you need to have that mastery of a language that allow you to communicate the nuances in depth <laughs> like if you want to, if you have, you think yourself as a funny person, you need to be able to make jokes that make people laugh. Because if you yeah. don't, then am I still a funny person, right? But when you are doing this in a language that is not your main language, that you are not fully confident or competent to speak, then you are very, very limited in that. And so that also limits your ability to use your cultural intelligence to get to the results that you want. Because first of all, you cannot understand fully what other people are telling you. So in terms of cross-cultural learning, you are limited to your own interpretation of what you hear and see. But a lot of the things that we learn, we learn through language. Uh, and then you have you are also limited in your ability to express. So in the model of cultural intelligence, there is knowledge, what you know about other cultures. There is, you know, your strategy, which is how you learn and absorb and adapt to the nuances um, of the culture. And the last one is the action. The action is how you feed back to others. You know, how do you change your, your communication, your nonverbal you know, to to be more adapted and appropriate in the other culture. And a lot of it is in, is in the language, just the language, the words that you use, the sentences that you structure, how you structure them. So my idea was that it's okay to be culturally intelligent. You know, we can train people to develop their cultural intelligence. But if at the end of the day, uh, they don't speak the language or they are so limited by the language, then learning teaching them cultural intelligence is pointless because they won't be able to use it so um in our research we look at the comparison the how the two work together and one yeah. thing that we found which i found was very interesting i mean we found several things so the first thing is um it doesn't at, when you get to a certain level you know because we work with university students people who are quite competent in their life you know they it's not a matter of competence anymore it's a matter of confidence Right. So you can be very competent in the language. You know, you pass all the tests and all of this. But because you have this self-belief that my English is not good, that mm -hmm. limits largely your ability to connect with others. And the second thing that we found is that um, it's not just language 
I mean, it's, it's not just language uh, competence that matter, but even for people who are very uh, fluent in English, you know, like native speakers or people who now, like even like me, who can speak without re really thinking, right? Um, the Having good language skills does not guarantee that you will function effectively in a multicultural environment. Uh, you need to have that cultural intelligence. And the way mm -hmm. cultural intelligence operates is, I say it's like, um, one of them is is by when you're culturally intelligent, you want to build more connections with people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And one of them is that if you are working with people, for example, you know, well, in my research, what we found is when you have this combination of high language confidence and high cultural intelligence, then you you try to connect with people beyond work. You know, like maybe yeah. you have work meetings and, and things to have to do that you cannot avoid doing. But in a work life, you also have all this space, you know, where you can, that is a lot more flexible. Like mm -hmm. imagine, you know, even if we have to, to do a Zoom call, you know, like you and I, we had to do a Zoom call before yeah. uh, to set up for this. You have different ways to do it. You can straight down, go straight down to the work and say, okay, you know, uh, here is how this is going to go. Here are the questions, the timing and the this and the that, like very task based, right? But you yeah. can also choose to spend like 5, 10, 15 minutes even to chit chat. It's like, okay, you know, how's the weather where you live and your kids and your family and your, your hobby and this and that, right? And, and that time that you spend building that connections, right? Whether it's, it's on a Zoom call at the beginning or whether it's, you know, in the office when you meet people, you go out, you invite them to go to lunch with you or mm -hmm. to hang out after work. This uh, soft, you know, uh, interactions, mm -hmm. they, they, they create something and they add to the psychological safety in a cross-cultural relationship later on when you have to work together. And this yeah. is really important because especially in a multicultural teams, multicultural context, um, there's a lot of uh, apprehension, you know, like people are not sure about each other. And so, when you don't know someone from your culture, let's say, you know, like you are stranger and your distance is like this and you have to bridge that distance, right? But when you come from different cultures, for some people, the distance they perceive with a stranger, it can be as far as this. You know, you start from even further away. And if you don't have those moments, those small moments of connection, you stay like that. The problem yeah. is when you have to work with people and you are this far away because you continue to see each other as strangers, Mm -hmm. You you find it harder to, uh, you know, when you have questions, when you have problems, you don't want to bring it up. And so speaking up, you know, voicing concern, all these things, I think that people do less. And this ultimately affects the functioning of the team. And this is why in a multicultural context, especially when language is potentially a challenge, it's really important to be very intentional in building this relationship so that people can create the psychological safety, you know, mm -hmm. that exists when relationships are closer, you know, when strangers become like, you know, yeah. colleagues that trust each other, then it also change the way we relate to one another in the context of work. And why this is important for employees or multinationals, I think it's because, I mean, I see, you know, in Southeast Asia, um, Typically, expatriates will receive some kind of cross-cultural training. Yeah. Uh, multinational companies are going to recruit people who speak English, but mm -hmm. the perception, the English com competence, and again, it's not just the competence, it's the confidence, uh, 
there are huge, huge variations. And generally, one thing I have found is for multinational companies, the local teams don't receive a lot of cross-cultural training. The cross-cultural training is for the expat who come from elsewhere. But the local team, imagine you are leading a team in Indonesia. And in mm -hmm. Indonesia, you are ex expat manager. So you will get some kind of training about how to do business in Indonesia and things like that. But what about your local team? And Indonesia is a country where there are huge variations. Like some people speak perfect English and others, you know, and so you cannot know uh, what's in their mind. And so, so, so this combination is, is important. Uh, it has implications for relationships and, yeah. you know, generally the, the outcome and the, the functioning of teams. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, as I'm listening to your, what you're saying, one of the things that come to mind, and, and you may have uh, slightly mentioned it, is that a lot of this work, a couple of things come to mind. Number one is we've seen for the probably the past six or so years, uh, inclusive leadership, uh, yeah. they talk about courage, collaboration, et cetera. But the one thing they, they, they mention is cultural intelligence. And mm -hmm. yet not a lot of people are, are know about this. And yeah. as you were talking about multinationals and multicultural work settings, we have we have the multinational companies and then you have the local companies. Mm -hmm. So so what I want to ask you is what if someone comes to you in, as a as someone who works for a uh, for a local organization that has no international presence per se? Yes. You know, what would you tell them to say that, hey, you need to have cultural intelligence uh, within your organization, because you did mention psychological safety, et cetera. But when you get pushback or, or some skeptic skepticism beyond that, you know, what kind of, what would you say to someone like that? Who's, who's, who wants to build their soft skills and, and, or has some, some questions about it. I think it's a very tough one. Yeah. Because I, I, I know, uh, I know that people who work in the space of DEI are not bringing in cultural intelligence and there's right. this whole discussion that culture is not just about nationality. Culture is about, uh, you know, your, your gender, your race, your age group, your, yeah. um, but at the same time, um, I found that when, okay. What I can say already is research uh, doesn't go at, at that level, okay, of um, yeah. of, uh, of nuance. But the research yeah. that has compared the, the importance of cultural intelligence in uh, leading multicultural teams or culturally diverse by in terms of nationality uh, mm -hmm. groups versus groups that are homogeneous, you know, of the same nationality, clearly right. tells us that CQ cultural intelligence makes a difference in terms of leadership effectiveness in the international mm -hmm. group, its mm -hmm. effect is almost non-existent in the national group. In the national group, what matters more is emotional intelligence. Yeah. And I think that's where things are tricky, right? Is because uh, fundamentally cultural intelligence has an additional level, dimension of cultural knowledge. Uh, right. When, you know, I'm French, I live in Asia, Clearly, these are very different cultures, and you can see it, and you can describe it, and and the gap because they are so big. Then that's where cultural intelligence really make a difference. When you are within the same national context, it's more difficult um, to to observe 
these differences, you can still see some systematic differences. You know, clearly people who are in the accounting and finance department, you know, have different preoccupations from the R&D team and the marketing. Okay, that, that yeah. we get it. But um, it's like, but then I feel like, yeah, it, it's just a bit more challenging uh, mm-hmm. to to push this idea of cultural intelligence. The way I will see this, cultural intelligence is a framework mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that can help us as trainers, you know, even if you're in diversity space, even if you only do this within your own national context, I think mm-hmm. the value of that, of cultural intelligence is to provide a framework to structure your interventions. So I right. see it more as, as a tool for trainers and coaches and consultants to structure their interventions than mm-hmm. as a product that you want to sell to a client yeah. and convince them that they need it. You can yeah. still use it. You don't have to tell them. Right. Yeah. Uh, and and actually, as a tool for consulting and training is really powerful because it mm-hmm. gives you a roadmap. It's like let's start with that, you know, motivation. Like, are people interested in, you know, connecting with each other? Uh, I think that part, you know, and, and you can build programs and design intervention that really push people out of their comfort zone and and build the capability in the four dimensions of the model which is uh, you know like the motivation to engage with people who are different the knowledge mm-hmm. about each other uh you don't have to to tell them oh yeah people from this group are like this and people from that group are like that all you have to do is give them a baseline and say okay you know how would you define the way people work in that team? How would you define yeah. the way people work in that other team? You know, you can, I know that uh, Erin Mayer, the culture map is, she's doing, she's using some of this for this kind of conversation. Right. Um, so I think this is very powerful. We are not trying to box people into, okay, your culture is like, but it's more like right. using cultural words as a means to start conversations to get to know each other better. And then yeah. you can, okay, then you can talk about, uh, how, you know, we talk our unconscious bias, you know, like affinity bias or um, um, like confirmation bias or all these things. So so then you, you move the discussion that initially was around culture, but people don't see it. So they don't see why do we need culture into a conversation that is more about, okay, is, maybe it's around creating more psychological safety. Maybe it's about like more inclusive, having more inclusive conversation. You call it however yeah. you want that, that the, your, the counterpart can understand, but you still use this, you know, this cultural intelligence framework as a mean to, to provide a solution. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, this is something that I was always curious about, especially, you know, working in the, um, the EDI space where, yeah. A lot of people are focused on the on the local solutions and, you know, divvying it up by, like you said, race, sex, gender, et cetera. Mm. And yes, those are important. But what are those cultural interactions? How do they yeah. relate? Because especially as we talk so much about uh, intersectionality, right, yes. because they all they all integrate one way or another. Um, yeah. And especially when culture is is prevalent in how people decide on you know their interactions and stuff and that's the thing and as you mentioned before you know one of the things when we first started talking um not only just online but when we introduced each other uh online um you know before the before deciding to go with this podcast is like you know how do you have those how do you build those relationships from the outset because i'm not that i've never been that type of person who's been down to business kind of kind of thing and i know there's other cultures that do that 
That's but right. At the same yeah. time, but at the same time, it's how do you build those relationships so that you gain that trust? And that's something that a lot of people are still trying to figure out, especially whether you're you're in that EDI space or within or or as a leader, right? When you're mm-hmm. when you're uh, when you're trying to gain that trust of your employees, et cetera. And, you know, especially from someone who's coming from a new country, um, refugee or not, or just a, a new immigrant from the country, they have different experiences and they're just navigating the country. They're navigating their experiences, et cetera. So how do you, how do you embrace them? And I think, and, and from what you're saying, that's exactly how we do it. And that's how leaders should be able to uh, to embrace that. And as consultants, this is what we try to tell them as, yeah. or as a, as, as part of that framework, uh, to build those relationships within an organization. So, uh, that was something that was, that was fascinating. And, you know, and I, and I really appreciated your, uh, your insight into that very, very much. So now let's shift it a little bit. And, you know, like I, like we, the, one of the things that we, that we spoke about a lot, um, was the one thing that really got my attention, excuse me, was the fact that we talked about this, this, the cross-cultural dating aspect of it, right? Oh, yeah. And, and then, you know, that was the fun part because we had, the, our conversation was about, you know, you know, how I navigated different relationships from different cultures. And that's how I, that's how I got interested in, in cultural intelligence and not yeah. even knowing the name of it, right? So, but you, on the other hand, you have a separate podcast uh, where yes. you talk, where it's, as I mentioned at the outset, CQ and love. So, yes. so, you know, as you mentioned about your relationships in the beginning of your, um, you know, of your journey into this, into this space, you know, what, um, you know, what are your, what are your instances when it comes to that cult- cross-cultural dating and how does CQ uh, get involved uh, or is involved in, in in that kind of atmosphere. So that's the that's the fun part of all this. Well, um, I when it comes to okay, I'm not an expert in cross cultural dating. Uh, I want to clear that. Oh no, that but you, you have a podcast, right? So I mean, yeah, I do. You know. So the, the the podcast is not really about dating; it's about relation, right. like you know, yeah, um, relationships. Yeah. Relationships. So we talk. We start from dating, but then we go into you know different stages of the relationship, right? Um, and and I tell a lot of my personal stories, um, right. but but I think like a, a funny anecdote around cross cultural dating and, and culture that also gave me a lot of insights. Uh, you know, like made me more aware of these cultural differences and how they work. Yeah. Is that I like to say that you know when I lived in China, I went on many dates. I didn't know they were dates. Yeah. Um, maybe many is a big word. Maybe it's like several, a couple. But the the thing is. Uh, <laughs> Dating practices, you know, is something that like we take for granted, you know, like the way you you get close to someone and all of this. But at the same time, we don't realize that it's very, very cultural. And so when yeah. you, you know, when I went to China, I was 23 years old. So, of course, I was and I was single. So, of, of course, you know, I was going to date people because this is the age when you get in, you meet people and, you know, like you, you also look for a partner. And, um, and because I... So, so, um, but, but I was in a different cultural context. Um, so I have two, two instances in particular. The, the first one was yeah. that I was an English teacher at one point. I was 
you know, my English was never so great, but you know, some people wanted to learn English with me. Yeah. Uh, and one of them was this English business, uh, this Chinese businessman. And so I, um, I was offering, you know, my my English uh, uh, services. So I had a book, I had prepared a lesson plan and everything. And so he came to my house for a lesson and, um, and he arrives and me, I'm ready to start, you know, like get down to work. You want to learn English. I'm going to teach you. I have a lesson plan and everything. And then he put, he sits down and he opened his laptop and he showed me this big presentation about how he has a PhD and he owns a company and it's some kind of like big fur, industrial furnace type of, you know, like those huge oven, like has super high temperature oven kind of like um, a, a factory. And yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't care. <laughs> I just want to get down to my lesson, right? You hear he's paying me money for that for my time. Yeah. And he just talked about this. And then after after talking about his giving me his whole, you know, business presentation, in the end he okay, fine, you know, um uh we we get to the lesson. And then the lesson ends, and then he leaves, and then okay, I see you next week. So the following week he comes back, and this time he arrives and he has a bottle of perfume for me. And so he gave me the perfume and I look at it and say, thank you very much. Very nice. No, no, to give to your English teacher. I take the perfume, put on the side and then let's get down to the lesson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then at the end of the lesson, he tells me, okay, next time you come to my office, I will send my driver. I have a driver. I have a big house. You know, you come to my, my office. And I yeah. thought, okay, pretty nice. You know, the guy wants to drive me around. Now, at the time, I already had a boyfriend. That was my now husband. And he was not in China at the time. He was studying abroad. And so we were separated for a while. And so after that call, I after that uh, second lesson, I, I called him and I said, hey, you know, there's this guy. And I had this lesson and he gave me perfume. And and my husband tells me, oh, but he's trying to date you. Is and, and I was so clueless, right? Yeah. But the funny thing is, it's not that it didn't happen one time. Then two or three weeks later, I got a call from a colleague. And yeah. he invites me to hang out with him and his roommate. And I go to this apartment in the outskirts of Beijing. And it's like five guys living together, you know, like they just graduated from college. You can imagine the kind of like, you know, it's a, it's a boy apartment. And it's, it's not very nice and... And it's very old. And it, I mean, this was still, you know, China 20 years ago. So the bathroom is still, you know, you the shower is literally on top of the toilet and everything. Yeah. And, and then we hang out there. And then, you know, we, we go out to dinner and then we come back. And then we watch this movie together. He wanted to show me this movie and his friends are there. And then at the end, I just leave, right? And my husband, again, my I called my boyfriend. I said, oh, yeah, I went to hang out with those guys, you know, it's... He said, Catherine, this is China. A young girl, like a, 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 a one girl doesn't go hang out with a boy just like that. This is a date. He yeah, wants yeah. to date you. Uh, because in China, typically, when people are interested in each other, they're supposed to, I, I was supposed to bring my girlfriends. You know, like if I wasn't yeah, following yeah, yeah. the standard protocol, I would have brought girlf- girlfriends and we would have all gone. But for me, coming from France, it's okay. You know, like cross-gender to hang out together. We don't have to want to date or anything. It's okay to want yeah. to be friends. Yeah. So I, I, that's where I, you know, I, I started thinking, okay, this concept of dating, um, even the word dating in France, we don't have a word for dating. Yeah. It's not the way that we see it in American movies or TV shows. I, I learned about dating in France, you know. 
there is this episode where I think uh, I forgot which character, maybe it's Chandler and Monica have to decide yeah. or, or not and Rachel, I don't know, have to decide yeah, yeah. what is the status of their relationship. And to right. me, it's so strange, right? Hey, you've kissed each other. You are in a relationship. It's a committed relationship from that moment. Even if it lasts five minutes, you are in a relationship. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, this idea of dating. Um, so that's, that was my, my, my learning about the cultural differences. Uh, but yeah. not just about the cultural differences. So that's the knowledge part, right? You you learn that the practices are different. But it's also an insight into my own mind because I realized that even if I knew it was different, I still go and I don't realize that what are the intentions of the other person um, until after the fact, right? So after that incident and then later on, this guy, he sent me flower. And I mean, the day he sent me flower, it was pretty clear. I went to my... Chinese friend and I said okay tell me what to do because I, I don't I don't want to break I mean of course I'm going to break his heart but I I don't know the proper way of you know making this clear uh, again this is a culture where things are ne not necessarily done very directly you know I'm French we like to say things in people's face especially if it's <laughs> not you know like you know I mean be, French people tend to can be can be quite direct. Um, yeah, and and in China this doesn't for me many times I try and that didn't come across so well. So it was yeah. also my chance at practicing this element of cultural intelligence that we call the strategy. Is okay now that you know that the culture is different. How do you respond to it in a way that is culturally appropriate? Right? What do you do with it? And for me, my solution was to go to my girlfriend and say, okay, guide me because you know, I. I I don't know how to manage this. Yeah. Oh my God, that's a that's a fascinating story, and <laughs> and you know, uh, but now you know you're you know now you know the differences, and of course you're now with your husband, so you don't have to worry so much about that. But it's an interesting, no. <laughs> you know, it's a it's an interesting dynamic, and of how you both you know navigate situations, and I think that's um, that's critical whether it's in the, in the, you know, in the workplace or in, you know, and in dating, right. I mean, you, you don't really think of it in a dating perspective, but when you look at it from a, a scientific perspective per mm -hmm. se, that's, it all makes sense. Right. So coming full circle with everything that you you've talked about, what are, um, what do you, what would you say as, as your key takeaways in terms of cultural intelligence for, uh, for not only global, EDI practitioners, but also business leaders uh, regarding this, this framework? My key takeaway. Um, I mean, one, one idea that I'm starting to, you know, I'm grappling with lately is this idea that um, cultural intelligence is a competence. It's, it's something that, I mean, when, when researchers went into studying cultural intelligence, the, 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 the question that, that, they, that was driving their inquiry was, why is it that some people are really good at adapting to any cultures and other people struggle, right? Why are very competent people uh, in their country when they are thrown into another country or, or into a multicultural team, suddenly they, they stumble versus others who, who thrive, right? right? So 
That's cultural intelligence as a competence. Clearly, for leaders, research is unequivocal. It makes mm -hmm. a difference, right? Having right. developing those skills the way they are. I mean, we, we always talk about these four qualities, the motivation, the knowledge, the strategy, and the, the behavioral flexibility. These four qualities combine uh, make you more effective at adapting to other cultures. But one thing that I'm starting to recognize now, because, uh, you know, I, I teach, I, I mean, I do executive uh, education workshops, I teach um, managers. One thing I'm starting to realize is that most pe many people actually already have cultural intelligence. They just don't know it, yeah. but they have it, you know, mm -hmm. and, And so when we go in and we want to train people, I feel like we often go with this assumption, that, oh, uh, let me tell you how to be culturally intelligent. But I think now more and more, a better approach is not that, is to say, hey, you already are and you don't know that. And I'm going to help you turn, you know, your, your experience, your intuition into something that you can you know, that you can use to replicate your success in a more conscious way. So it's not just about developing skills, but it's actually translating something that is unconscious into something right. that is very conscious. So I feel like it brings back to this idea of bringing awareness, but awareness at the much deeper level, the le level that you have that, you already have it in you. Of yeah. course, not everybody, but... But many people do. And when we come in, you know, as, as DI leaders, as cultural intelligence uh, trainers, we can we we come here to deliver tools that help people to that empower people to use the things they themselves have learned through their experience, their observation, their, their intuition into something very concrete that help them, um, you know, like I say, replicate success, like uh, know exactly what is it that they are doing that is making them successful and, and teach others and inspire others to do it. And, and I feel like this is, um, I, I, it's like some, you know, I call that like moving from CQ as a competence to CQ leadership. It's like we can't yeah. be culturally intelligent leader like DEI leaders. It's not about convincing others to come our side. It's actually recognizing that they are already on our side. And what we have to do is to elevate them to the next level so that they themselves can become advocates. Yeah, no, that's, you know, that's fascinating because we hear, you know, I've never heard the term CQ leadership. I mean, we talk how it's embedded, CQ is embedded in inclusive leadership, but yeah. that, listening to what you're saying in terms of that um, CQ leadership and and unlocking that unknown that people have is something that that can be can be cherished um you know when you're building those relationships and becoming a more culturally aware uh leader if you will and and that yeah. and, you know that's something that's 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 fascinating to know yeah and so so in closing uh i just want to ask you a couple of couple okay. of fun questions Yeah. So relax, relax it all. And, <laughs> and so what is the one thing that, uh, you know, if someone were to come to you and say, Catherine, you know, tell me something that we don't know about you, what would that be? Um, something you don't know about me. So you want something personal? <laughs> personal, whatever, whatever, however you want to answer it. It's your, yeah. Um, I mean, okay. Some, you know, 
one thing that very few people know about me is that um, one of my first job was uh, to be a, um, I was uh, working as a fast food and I love it. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know if that say anything about me, but uh, you know, I know that most people find, okay, working at McDonald's is the least glamorous job in the world for many people. Yeah. But, yeah. but to me, that was something I enjoyed doing. <laughs> of course, I didn't do it for the, uh, my whole life. Um, so, and if I was not doing CQ, you know, uh, being an expert in that space and all of this, I, I would love to work in the service industry, in a hotel, oh, okay. in a supermarket, you know. Yeah. Um, in fact, if I didn't go to China, that was my next best option. I was going to be a line manager in the supermarket. Um, oh, okay. Because, and, and what I loved about it was the 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 fact that, uh, you know, you, you work with people of... Uh, from all walks of life, like from the people who have didn't have the chance to go to school and get a degree and, uh, you know, having very simple lives to people who are, uh, you know, like went to business school. And, and so it's this diversity of people that I thought was really interesting. And so um, I guess, you know, maybe, maybe if I didn't go to China, I would still be, you know, I would be in the DEI space uh, in a different yeah. shape or in a different form, but still, uh, <laughs> Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's an interesting, interesting uh, take in terms of what, you know, what, uh, what's something that we didn't know about you. I didn't even know that about you. I mean, I knew yeah. about other things, but, <laughs> but still, um, but yeah. So, and, and I guess the last question I have for you is yeah. what is the uh, one book or piece of music that has inspired you and brings a smile to your face? Yeah. Well, the last book I read that really inspired me is Humankind by uh, Rutger Bregman. Um, I don't know if you've seen that book. Uh, you Have you seen it? No, no. I, I have it here. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's originally written in Dutch. Um, it, I loved it. It's... Um, yeah. Um, this, this book debunks the myth around, you know, like myth that, that human beings are fundamentally bad. Yeah. And one thing I love is that he takes this very systematic approach to, uh, to pull out, you know, like a lot of scientific, so-called scientific studies that have shown and demonstrated that human beings, you know, are bad. And if you let them to their own uh, demise, they will, they will do bad things. And then he goes back and he actually... Uh, prove that, you know, no, this is not true. And fundamentally, human beings have the power to be good. Uh, it is there. It is in all of us. And and so I, I think that's, you know, yeah, this is a book that uh, gave me a lot of hope uh, that mm -hmm. we, we can, you know, we, we, can, we can find ways to maybe not understand each other, but we, we can find ways to get along because despite all the bad things that we see happening in the world, uh, deep inside us, we all have the power to be good. And it's not just me saying it and preaching, right? But it's, you know, him proving, uh, showing evidence from world events and, and research and all of this. So I highly recommend that book. <laughs> fascinating, fascinating. Um, so yeah, so Catherine, I want to I want to uh, say thank you uh, for this great enlightening conversation. Thank uh, you for having and, me. You know, and no, and of course, and you know, like I said, it was the, this was something that was a long time coming. 
Uh, and I appreciated that. And, uh, and I'm, I'm sure that our listeners and those watching will appreciate your, 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 your humor, your, uh, cultural intelligence, if you will, but also, also what you bring back to the table and what people can learn yeah. from, uh, from, from you. So, so thank you for that. Um, and so what, uh, where can people find you? On LinkedIn. Um, so I post every day. So Dr. Catherine Wu, uh, if you cannot find me, you can type Singapore. Uh, I should come up or you can uh, check Andre Darmanin and <laughs> he will point you towards me. We are, you know, uh, we are connected. So that will be the best place to find me. Okay. All right. Well, uh, thanks again, Catherine, for all this. And uh, don't uh, don't hesitate to uh, like, subscribe, and uh, share our webcast or even any of the webcast episodes on Global Conversations. Uh, until uh, next time, I bid you adieu. Thank you and have a great day.